The Lord speaks to us through his word in 1 Corinthians 4, 8 through 21. Already have all you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share the rule with you. For I think that God has exhibited us apostles as last of all, like men sentenced to death, because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor, but we in disrepute. To the present hour, we hunger and thirst. We are poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless, and we labor, working with our hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. When slandered, we entreat. We have become, and are still, like the scum of the world, the refuse of all things. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ, as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming to you, but I will come to you soon, if the Lord wills, and I will find out not the talk of these arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. What do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thank you, Amy. Good morning. Wow, that's how it's going to be, huh? Okay. All right. We can work with that. Uh, Welcome, and we are glad you're here, especially if you're a guest this morning and uh, on a kind of a cloudy, perfect fall morning, uh, to me anyway. Uh, so we're glad you're here and glad that we can be together this morning and uh, worship together and study together. And if I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Pat Robinson, and I serve as one of the pastors here at Frontline, and uh, the pastor over a community group. So uh, one thing you'll hear a lot uh, here is community groups. And so uh, if you're not connected to one, uh, at the end of the service, there will be people in the back to help you connect to one. And so we would love for you uh, to be in a community group as we're called to be in community. And uh, my prayer has been, as we've gone through this study of 1 Corinthians, and if you are a guest, we have been going through 1 Corinthians, uh, is that God continue to reveal to us in, in, about ourselves and how we live in our lives and how we follow Jesus in our city. And, and as we've gone through Corinthians and, and looked at that up to this point, uh, I know it's been really good, and it's also at times been really hard for me uh, because I realize I look a whole lot more like a Corinthian than I do one of the apostles 
uh, as I go through that. So uh, it's been convicting, it's been, uh, but been good in causing me to be more intentional in following Jesus. And so we want to continue uh, looking at that today. So if, if you would, pray with me, please. Father, we do just come praising you uh, uh, and thanking you. Uh, we, we thank you for your presence this morning. Uh, as, as we have uh, presence in our singing, in our prayer, in our praise. And Lord, uh, we know your presence because you tell us when we are gathered in your name, you are with us. And so uh, we pray the, that as your presence is with us and upon us, that uh, you would continue to move and work in power uh, through, this, through your word and through your spirit uh, to move our hearts and transform them. And so, Lord, uh, we just ask this morning that you would open our hearts, open our minds, open our ears to the things that we need to hear, uh, the things that need to change our heart, Lord. Just uh, open us up to them. And we pray that you would move in power and work. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, as we have been going through 1 Corinthians, there's been uh, one, one constant thing as we've gone through. There's been a whole lot of contrast. And uh, that contrast can be in wisdom, can be in power, can be in strength. And, uh, and so... I want to recap just a couple of those, and then we'll look at a couple more contrasts in uh, chapter 4. So, right off the bat in chapter 1, we see contrast in divisions. Instead of the body of Christ being united and being one, uh, they're being uh, divided by people, different factions saying, I follow Paul, I follow Apollos, I follow Cephas, and, and dividing the body instead of being a body united in Christ. In uh, 1 Corinthians 1.25 states, For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. And then in verse 27, he goes on to say that God chose what was foolish to shame the wise, and God chose what was weak to shame the strong. And there's just continues contrast after contrast. In chapter 2, we see that human wisdom, in contrast to God's wisdom revealed through the Spirit. And uh, paraphrasing, uh, 1 Corinthians 2, the first five chapters, or first five verses, uh, there's no eloquent speech or human wisdom that can compare to, the, to what the Spirit of God can and does reveal by the power of God. No comparison. And then last week, as Zach brought that to us in chapter 3, uh, we see the contrast of a foundation built on Christ the foundation on things built on, on 
being built on things of this world. Things not built on Christ will cherish. In 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 6, Peter is quoting from Isaiah 28. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes on him will not be put to shame. No shame will come, and no one will perish that's built on Christ. And so today, as we continue into chapter 4, I want us to look at those contrasts. And the first one, I want continue to look at those contrasts. The first one I want us to look at is the one between the Corinthians and the, and the apostle. And we have to remember that the Corinthians in, uh, in their city were losing their contrast. You know, they no longer looked like the kingdom outposts that Paul had planted that was seeking the welfare of the city. They began to look just like the city. You see, they were wanting the approval of their city and the approval of man more than they wanted God. And, and as we go through this this morning, remember that Paul is a highly educated man. Uh, and he referred refers to himself as not being wise in some of this. There could be nothing further from the truth. Paul studied under one of the greatest teachers uh, of the old law and uh, was a Pharisee of Pharisee. And to be, to hold that position at one time, he would have to be at least trilingual. So think about that. There's probably not very many of us in here that are trilingual. Uh, that's the level of his education. To interpret scripture, he would have to know Hebrew, Greek, and Aramaic. And so, uh, he's a highly educated man. And so, let's begin in chapter 8 of verse 4. Verse 8 of chapter 4. Hey, I made it through the whole first service without having a dyslexic moment. So I've got it over with, I hope. Already you have all that you want. Already you have become rich. Without us, you have become kings. And would that you did reign so that we might share and rule with you. For I think God has exhibited us, exhibited us apostles as the last of all, like men sentenced to death because we have become a spectacle to the world, to angels and to men. We are fools for Christ's sakes, but you are wise in Christ. We are weak, but you are strong. You are held in honor and we in disrepute. To the present hour, we are hungry and thirst. We are poorly, poorly dressed and buffeted and homeless. And we labor, working with our own hands. When reviled, we bless. When persecuted, we endure. 
when slandered we entreat. We have become and are still like the scum of the world, the refuge of all things. You see, Paul comes out pretty sharp here and sarcastically uh, after the church at Corinth, and he's really point, pointing out two main problems. You know, they have, they have lots of problems, but they all kind of lead back to two main problems, and they kind of go hand in hand. They have an over-realized eschatology, and they have replaced the cross with the world's wisdom. And they were known for their knowledge. They had lots of knowledge. And some of it was good, and yet some of it they had wrong. And what they did have right, they were failing to integrate it into their mind, heart, and soul. They had lots of head knowledge. And they were failing to integrate it in so that it would transform their heart and transform their lives. And I know when we say eschatology, a lot of times people cringe, uh, think it's a, a really big word, and, and it's, uh, it's not uh, that hard. Uh, actually, it's pretty simple. And eschatology simply refers to the study of last things or last time or what happens when Jesus returns. And so they had really kind of messed that up. Uh, instead of believing that the kingdom of God was both already here, but not yet fully here, they started to believe that the kingdom of God had already fully arrived. Instead of waiting for God to return to earth and fully bring his kingdom, they believed that they should have all the benefits and the blessings and future inheritance of the kingdom of God now. They wanted it all now, triumph, victory, wealth, status, uh, a comfortable life. They wanted it all now and wanted to wait for nothing. And they weren't waiting for nothing. Instead of waiting to reign and rule with Jesus on a restored new earth in the future, they believed they should already be reigning and ruling now. That's the first problem. Second problem is they experienced... Uh, that they experienced is they had replaced the cross with the world's wisdom. And, and that's what it really had come, a lot of it had become about for them is worldly wisdom, gaining more knowledge, being successful, you know, everything up and to the right. They were climbing that ladder, whether that's social status, economic status, power, they were climbing that ladder and it all became about being successful. And the problem with that is that we're not called to be successful. We're called to be faithful followers of Jesus. And so Paul, with a little sarcasm, is pointing that out to them and reminding them of that God's ways are not the world's ways. And sometimes, or even often, they look foolish to the, world, to the world. And so if we're faithfully called to follow Jesus, what does that look like? 
And even Paul in a few more verses will say, follow me as I follow Jesus. What does that look like? Let's, if we want to know what that looks like, let's go to Jesus' word. In Matthew 16, verses 24 and 25. Then Jesus told his disciples, if anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. Whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. And see, as followers, we are called to take up our cross and follow Jesus. We're invited into a life of self-denial so that we might live in power in the power of Jesus. We have been purchased. We have been bought with a price, and that price is Christ's blood. So when we trust in Jesus and are buried with him in baptism, we die to our old self, and we are no longer our own. We belong to Jesus. Our life is not our own. As followers of Jesus, we're invited to share in the, re- the reproach of Jesus. Luke 21, verse 16 and 17, uh, Jesus once again, speaking to his disciples, says, you will, be, you will be delivered up even by parents and brothers and relatives and friends, and some, and some of you they will put to death. You will be hated by all for my name's sake. At some point in your, in your life of following Jesus, you will receive pushback. At some point. It might not have happened yet, but it will. And it will probably surprise you where it comes from. It might be a coworker. It might be a family member. It might be your, be your brother. It might be a neighbor. If you're following after Jesus, there will be pushback. So how do we respond? We respond like Paul and the apostles did to the Corinthians. When we're reviled, we bless. When we're persecuted, we endure. And when we're slandered, we entreat. When we're wronged, we forgive. And as followers, we're called to share in Jesus' suffering. 2 Corinthians 1 verse 5 said... For as we share abundantly in Christ's sufferings, so through Christ we share abundantly in comfort too. As followers of Jesus, we have lots of promises in Scripture. And some of them we really like, and some of them are just really hard. We 
we're promised if we follow Jesus, we will encounter difficult times. For in this world, you will have trouble. We live in a broken world, and we will have trouble in it. But the good news is, we are also promised the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit for the journey in the home with the Father for eternity. Following Jesus doesn't always look like we imagined it would. Sometimes it's really, really hard. Sometimes it's really, really sweet. But always he is with us. The second contrast I want to look at in this is the contrast between guides and fathers. We've looked at the contrast between the Corinthians and the apostles. Now I want to look at the contrast between guides and fathers. Beginning in verse 14. I do not write these things to make you ashamed, but to admonish you as my beloved children. For though you have countless guides in Christ, you do not have many fathers. For I became your, your father in Christ Jesus through the gospel. I urge you then, be imitators of me. That is why I sent you, Timothy, my beloved and faithful child in the Lord, to remind you of my ways in Christ as I teach them everywhere in every church. Some are arrogant as though I were not coming. But I will come to you soon. If the Lord wills, and I will find out not, not the talk of those arrogant people, but their power. For the kingdom of God does not consist in talk, but in power. So what do you wish? Shall I come to you with a rod or with love and a spirit of gentleness? We saw Paul earlier respond with sarcasm. And here he responds in a much gentler way. Yes, still firm. Part of it very firm. But still in a gentlest and a love as it was from a father. In verse 15, he tells them, you have countless guides in Christ. In the Greek, that literally means 10,000 guides. It's translated 10,000. But you see, Paul is their spiritual father. He had planted the church. He taught many of them the gospel. And he probably discipled a lot of them in following after Jesus. And so he urges them to imitate himself in following Jesus. And then he goes on to send Timothy, his beloved son, his, his child in God, to remind them of the ways of Christ. And then Paul reminds them that 
if the Lord's will, he will return soon as a father. And he's hoping to do that with a spirit of gentleness and love. And that's where I want us to kind of wrap up. In the ideal of a spiritual father, Paul is coming to them as a spiritual father. And he admonishes them, not to shame them, but to correct them. And he urges them to be imitators of him. And later, in chapter 11 and verse 1, he does it again. Be imitators of me as I am of Christ. Paul is calling the Corinthians and us to imitate him and live a life surrendered to Jesus. Paul, in in his life and throughout his life, is constantly pointing people to Jesus. And Jesus is constantly pointing us to the Father. That's what spiritual fathers do. They do life with us. They come alongside us. They correct us. They disciple us. They not only teach us, but they also model for us what a good father looks like. They model spiritual habits and virtues. They model what it looks like to love our wives, our children and neighbors unconditionally. They teach us truth. Truth that that changes our lives even if it doesn't change our circumstances. Sometimes we need people close to us to speak hard truths in our lives. All of us need that. I need that. And that truth sometimes doesn't change our circumstance. We're still in a hard, hard place. And then they walk through that circumstance with us, constantly pointing us to the Father. That's what spiritual fathers do. And there is literally 10,000 things out there that you could access today to listen to online. If you will, 10,000 guides. A whole lot of noise, and some of that noise is even really good. But the problem is, there's very few fathers. And when that circumstance doesn't change, that guide's not there. But a father is. You see, spiritual fathers or guides are not connected to our lives. They don't know us. They don't know us intimately. They don't know the things that we've struggled with. One of the reasons we're called to be in community 
is to know one another. We're called to do life together. Not alone. And in Titus chapter 2, we are all called to be spiritual fathers and mothers to those younger in the faith. For men and women both, we are called to teach, to model good work habits, to model integrity, dignity, and sound speech. We are called to imitate Paul as he imitates Jesus and point others to the Father. See, Jesus laid down his life to fulfill the Father's will. And his life was poured out to make a way for us to come to the Father. Why? Because he's a good father. You know, and I know a lot of times that can even, uh, just the word father can have some negative connotations for a lot of people. Uh, but our Father in heaven is a good father. And I know no better way than to wrap up what it means to be a good father than the story in Scripture. And that story might have the most wrong label in all of the Bible, the parable of the prodigal son. You see, it's not a story about a prodigal son. It's not even a story about two sons. It's a story about a loving father who never quits. You see, as the youngest son goes and wastes all of his inheritance, ends up destitute, and returns to his father, His father is waiting. And says in verse 20, but while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and felt compassion and ran and embraced him and kissed him. And goes on to put a robe on him, the signet ring of the family. Shoes on his feet, kill the fatted calf, and celebrate. And you see, church, this is the heart of God. This is the heart of the Father. One who never grows weary. And one who's waiting to celebrate. Paul calls us all in, all of us, to imitate him as he imitates Jesus in modeling the heart of God. And so this morning, no matter where we've been, no matter where we've gone, where we've wandered or gone astray, The Father never grows weary of awaiting our return 
And matter of fact, he's ready to run to us and embrace us and kiss us and throw the biggest celebration of all. Will you pray with me? Father in heaven, we do praise you that you never grow weary. You never give up on pursuing us. You never give up on loving us. And Father, we pray this morning that those words there would sink deep in our hearts and transform our lives. We need to make our, our hearts need to be made new again today. And again tomorrow, continual transformation. We thank you for the free gift of grace that you've given us. And that we can be called your sons and daughters. In Jesus' name, amen. If you would, stand with me. If you're serving communion, if, if you would make your way to the table that you're serving at.